Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 10 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I have with me Kevin Jans, president of Skyway Acquisition Solutions, a company that has helped their clients win more than $1 billion in government contracts. Kevin is also the host of the Contracting Officer podcast. He is an author and a TEDx speaker. Kevin, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, you've got a very impressive bio. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and at what point did you start your journey to becoming an entrepreneur? A long time ago, I think I'm, I'm the typical kid that tried the, you know, all the, the different stuff when you're uh, when you're growing up, the rock garden sale and, you know, all the all the little, you know, the the lemonade stand, all that stuff to try and see what mm-hmm. would work. And it really until I got out of college and I started to try my hand at you know, real companies. Well, I had a, a pet photography business. I had a car service business and each one of them was a little bit better. And I learned a lot and I did them all part time while I was you know working a full time job. And it. It all kind of came together with the company I have now when I realized that what I'm really good at also tends to be something I really like. And what's right. crazy is that government contracting is, is tediously boring for 95% of the people in the world. But for the 5% that are interested in it, who are in it, they they get what we do. And as an entrepreneur, that, that was the big light bulb is that people say all the time, you got to follow your passion, right? But once you figure out what it is, it's it is it's a light bulb. It's a moment you're like, wow, okay, I, I can... I don't have to hit the snooze bar in the morning. I want to do this. And that's a different <laughs> right. feeling. So what does your company actually do and what motivated you to start it? Well, I was a what was called a contracting officer. And that's somebody in the U.S. government spends you know lots of money doing lots of things, right? But a large chunk of that is what's called discretionary spending. And that's where contracts are competed. So they're competed you know, not just in the United States, but all over in military bases, those kind of things. And, and with other uh, partner nations, I mean, I've, I've signed contracts with Norway and other, com- other countries or companies in those countries. So I, I had this background or I had this specialized experience. And I realized that a lot of companies were struggling. They had, they had outgrown. There's lots of free advice for these kind of companies for small oh, before be, before you continue just yep. imagine i'm a se- seven-year-old kid one of your seven year i don't know how many children do you have by the way i have two two how old are they they are eight and ten okay so i'm your eight-year-old okay, okay. try and explain to me as an eight-year-old what exactly it is that you do because i understand i i researched your company and i'm still not a hundred percent sure what exactly what is government contract uh what is that so that that's essentially contracts that are competed by the United States to buy everything from construction to aircraft to services at bases to IR, to the IRS to the, the website for the White House. The U.S. government has a process. They compete mm-hmm. contracts and they hire companies. They, they realized the, over years that they used to have government employees that would mow the grass, right? And they realized that uh-huh. it's not efficient to do that. There are companies okay. that can do this. So over decades, they realized that we can outsource a lot of things and there are lots and lots of things. Pretty much, if, if it's ethical and moral, the government buys it. And we can mm-hmm. debate how much they should be. That's a different discussion. But even if you cut the market in half, it's still it's the world's biggest buyer. So what my company right. does is we help businesses understand how that process works. How do you get those contracts? How do you keep those contracts? If you have one and there's a clause in there you don't understand, you need somebody to reach out to. And so the podcast, we give away a lot of free advice on how the process works. Our company, we provide consulting services. We have an online community that helps people understand this this market. And then of course, we also help write proposals and those kind of things. 
So essentially, you are a consulting firm that focuses only on the government contracting space. That is correct. We are a micro niche. We, and, and so the phrase is we help you know more, do more and win more in government contracting. Brilliant. And what's the advantages and I guess disadvantages of starting a business that profits from government contracts? Well, the, the disadvantage is that uh -huh. it, it's a huge market. But because it's so huge, it's very easy to get lost in it. You can be a, a dinghy sitting in the middle of a giant ocean if you're not careful. It is different. For example, almost all contracts have to be recompeted. And so compare that to how if you hire somebody, your, your accountant, you hire somebody to do your taxes for you. You don't have to get a new person every five years. I mean, in, in the commercial market, there is this process that by relationships, you find somebody that supports you. In the government, there's a process to win those contracts. And then they get recompeted. That is very different. So if your whole business model is based on the relationships you've built with people, it's going to feel very different. So it can be a disadvantage to people. The advantage is that, again, it's, it's the largest market, right? So if you necked it down to you provide IT services for Microsoft SharePoint at military bases in Florida, that, that is a, it sounds like a really narrow niche, right? That's probably a two yeah. to $5 million a year business, right? Just wow. in that one little niche. And once you learn how to do that, here's the other big advantage, and this is Again, I'm not trying to oversell it, but the idea is a lot of the government processes, which is why what we do is so transferable, the IRS, the NASA, no, sorry, not use my, uh, my acronyms on you, the Internal Revenue Service, the <laughs> Coast Guard, the Department of Defense, the, you know, pick one, uh, na the National Atmosphere and uh, Space Administration. They use I know what NASA is. <laughs> just checking. You yeah. never know. Uh, but they all use a lot of the same rules. So once you've right. mastered this, I'll go back to the SharePoint story. Once you've mastered the, the process of winning the contracts to be a SharePoint administrator as a service provider on this military base, a lot of the rules are going to be the same. For example, mm -hmm. a lot of the payment processes are the same. Once you're in the system and you get paid through, there's a, a specific system you get paid through. Once you're in there, you don't have to change that to go work for a different base or a different in a different state. So the scalability of it and the the, the growth potential is huge. So that's one of the, the, the and again I, I can probably give you I can give you ten advantages and ten disadvantages. And I'll, I'll just put this out there. I wrote a book that I'll give away for free. Um, just have your uh, your listeners email me. I'd love to just give it to you because the it, it isn't about how to do this stuff. It's about whether the market is for you. And again, I I've been at what's called a contracting officer. I was on the government side for sixteen years. So my superpower is seeing things from that side. So the book is called Save Your Time. A contracting officer explains why the market may or may not be right for you. And the idea is that you pick up this plane or to pick up this book on a plane. And by the time you land, you've decided, mm, no, it's not for me. Or you, yes, you get it. That's why I wrote right. the book. And I didn't just have them email me and you can put it in the show notes and I'll just, I'll email them a PDF and in sure. a couple hours, they'll know <laughs> whether or not they should listen to our podcast. For sure. Is there a, a high um, level of barrier to entry in this type of a space? If you do it wrong, yes. There are lots of different brackets. So I'll, I'll give you the basic three brackets. If what you sell is less than $3,500, they use what's called a government credit card. Like it's literally, it's just a credit card. So if, if you sell, the example I use is, is you're outside of a military base and you make plaques. Well, they have people that are retiring. They're going to come out and they're going to spend 60 bucks on a plaque. That's bought with a credit card. Plaque for what? For, for somebody retiring, say, or, or okay. for, some, for some event. or there's, They need paper. They need a, a printer. They buy these things everywhere. So you can sell to the government like you sell to anybody else if your item is relatively inexpensive. Mm -hmm. As you get above 3500 to 150000 there's this, this zone called the Simplified Acquisition Procedures, and these are set aside just for smaller companies. And the idea here is that they're going to look at three, 
and pick one. There's a bit more infrastructure. It's a bit more complicated than that. Okay. It's not as easy as a credit card, but it's, you're not talking the big stuff yet. You get above 150000 Okay, now it gets complicated. And what happens sometimes is people start there and they get overrun. And, and that's where you start to realize all these different regulations and you have to have cer- certain cost regulations and you need to understand all of these different rules you never heard of. If you start there, you can get overrun. And most of what we talk about on the podcast is above the 150, or, I'll say probably above the $150,000 range. So we're in the more complex zone. Like our, our clients have you know $100 million contracts, for example. Right. Well, you've helped your clients win over a billion dollars worth of contracts. I mean, how have you achieved that? Helping them target is the biggest thing. And then we also write the proposals for them. We help with their winning themes. We help them with the overall strategy of how to compete for individual contracts. The biggest part is understanding which ones to chase and which ones to ignore. Because if you go to, and again, I'll just throw it out there. There's a couple, a couple of different sites, but the easiest one to go to, it's called federalbusinessopportunities.gov or FBO, Federal Business Opportunities, FBO.gov, and just type in there whatever you sell. It doesn't matter if it's hearing aids or if it's cars, just type in there what you sell. And you're going to see as as few as dozens and as many as thousands of opportunities. And not knowing which one to chase is how you can get eaten alive. So the the, the biggest way to do this is to know how to target. Right. And, and, And on that point, by the way, I watched your TEDx speech, which is called Why the Micro Niche or Niche is Mighty. So can you explain what is a micro niche? And I, I, I can't say I made the word up, but I kind of made up okay. the definition of it. And, and basically, okay. the, the idea for me of, of a micro niche is go as small enough that you're uncomfortable. And mm. that's the way that I've been. I, I should, probably should use that. In the, but I've gotten, this, I've gotten this question enough since I've done the TEDx talk that I realized there's a better way to define it. And the idea is that you know what a niche is. It's okay. It's a smaller group. But go down to where you're uncomfortable thinking and there can't possibly be that many people in this micro niche. And that's it from a business perspective. That's the best way to do it. So we're very polarizing is people either realize there are probably people listening going, wow, I would never listen to his podcast because I'm not in the government market. And, and that's OK. Mm. There are, are a few people and that's the micro niche who are thinking, wow. This, I can learn about this for free. Those are the people that the, the micro niche targets. So once you know what your niche is and you keep slicing off more of the, you know, whether you want to you specify you're only looking at people in Israel, you, want, you can make it geographic, you can make it specific to age groups. I mean, make it as small as you can to where you're uncomfortable thinking there can't be that many people. And, and listen to On that point, well, yeah. Kevin, a, lo- a lot of people listening to this will probably be thinking, but why should they limit the amount of clients they target? Like you're saying, get uncomfortable. That, why would I want to be at the point where it's like, hmm, but now I, I've got such a small group of clients, isn't it? We've all been taught from a young age that it's a numbers game, right? Anyone who's in sales, anyone who's ever been in sales, it's a numbers game. If you've got 10,000 people to target and you can get 10% of those, great. When you're talking about micro-niching, so now there's such few numbers, like it's not so exciting in a way, you know? Great question. I'll give you two reasons. Uh, the first one is that nobody does it. That's Again, I, I'm one of those entrepreneurs. I do what nobody else does as a rule. So that's how I got into this. The second thing is that as you continue to, to micro niche down and you look at how big the global market is, right? So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I take my micro niche and we do Facebook ads for our, to, to drive people, to, not, to let people know that our podcast and our, and our company is out there, right? I necked it down to the finest finite detail I could think of, and it was still 58,000 people. If I got 10% of that, that's 5,800 clients. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a $100 million business. 
So wow. once you start really digging into it, and, and, and again, you have to look. I mean, we've, we've spent – I didn't come up with this overnight. I mean, this, we, we started as a company five years ago. I was throwing a wide net, and that net's gotten narrower and narrower and narrower. And now we realize that the things that, that only we are insanely good at, the people who mm-hmm. understand us – and again, there's literally thousands of them. That's – I can build – I mean, I've, I've kind of laid this out to the idea of my, my long-term plan. Everybody in the government market is, is not necessarily going to need us, right? But 10,000 companies who spend $100,000 a year, that's a $100 million business. <laughs> that, that's a lot. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's, that's how it plays out. And how do you know when you've niched down enough? The, a good question. The, the big thing for me is that I get a lot, of, a lot of people who come to us, that's exactly what they're looking for. The, the phrase I use is, we're the prize. In sales, a lot of times, and, and I got a full disclosure, I got this idea from the Advanced Selling Podcast. I didn't come up with this. I, I listened to it, a, a podcast and learned it. But the basic idea is a lot of times in sales, we look at the, at the client as a prospect, as the person we're trying to get them to buy our stuff. They're the prize, right? Well, if you flip that, and, and the micro niche makes, makes this really clear, you're the prize. For, for the companies who are looking for somebody who used to be a government contracting officer at Special Operations Command, who knows how I can win a $100 million contract, I'm the prize. Can you give a different example? Because a lot of people listening may not be able to understand it from in your industry. Because your industry, you've got, I'm, I'm assuming, high, very high ticket value clients. Whereas somebody doing guitar lessons or what, selling, I don't know, shoes online, whatever it is, whether the, the, the price, the price per, the, the value per client is much lower. Can you give an example, maybe in a different space? Okay. Uh, let's see. The, the, I like the, the shoe example is that someone who is looking for just the right size shoe because they have wide feet, they're looking for just the right color. Uh, and for that matter, they may be looking for customer service. I think of Zappos, right? I'm, just, I'm scaling this up to the big story. Okay. The basic idea is that a company who or a person who's looking for a company that will provide them with the customer service they're looking for, for that wide sized shoe, for maybe it's for running, right? So it's a running shoe and, and you, you specialize in wide sizes and that's what your content is about and, and that's your niche. You're the prize because they're looking for that. They're Googling that. They're looking for They want to solve that problem. They can't find a running shoe that fits them, but you've got right. it. You're the prize. So you're separating yourself from the whole crowd because everybody's trying to sell shoes online and you've kind of just taken a step to the side and said, well, hold on. I don't want to get into this whole like bidding war and like fighting over the client, but I'm just going to sell shoes for the for the wide sized market and that's it and most people are uncomfortable doing that because well you know then i can't go for the big market and why wouldn't you go for the big market if you can go for the big market but what you're saying is ultimately you become the expert in that market you corner that market and there's the competitions obviously a lot less in that market exactly and and of course the other the the, the upside to this is you can always widen your aperture you can always go back out to selling to everybody. But if right. you start there, which goes back to like I was saying before, if you start with a giant contract, you get frustrated. Well, if you start with selling to everybody who needs shoes, you're going to get lost in the noise. So start with something really small. And keep in mind, you've got you to gotta market. I mean, you've got to do some market research on this. You've got to make sure that that market is big enough because I just made that up. Maybe there's only <laughs> maybe only one thousandth of one percent of people need wide running shoes. I don't know. But mm. Google that. You know, learn what the market needs. And the cool part about when you start small like this, you as an entrepreneur, you make lots of mistakes and you're making them on a much smaller scale when you're in a micro niche. And the number of things that I've messed up that the consequences have been very small because I was making mistakes I could afford. Whereas if I went to the whole market, I went to the entire shoe market and said, we've got the best wide shoe in the world. Well, then Nike says, you know, you don't. Now I'm dead in the water because they can just outvoice me. 
See what I'm saying? Right. It's like there's just there's there's so much more risk in in trying to to be big before you're ready. Yeah, what's also good about going after a niche as well is you could charge a premium price because if I've got wide feet and I'm going to loads of different websites trying to find wide size shoes and nobody's doing it or if they're doing it, it's very limited. And suddenly I stumble upon a website that's just for people with wide feet. Now they could charge me even double, almost double the price, I would say, as what the regular shoes would cost because they're specifically targeting me and I'm getting a selection of you know what I couldn't get in all the other places. So in a sense, you can also become a premium product and, and sell for a lot more. And on top of that, you have the margins to be able to serve those people. That was the big, another one of those aha moments I had about six months into our online community is we kept, we kept raising the price to be able to do more. And not just because we were being greedy and all, you can make all the stories about that. But the reality was to be able to serve these people, we needed enough margin to be able to hire the people to spend the time on the phone with them. So imagine the difference between you find a website that sells shoes that are wide. Okay. Well, now you find the website that let's say you got a competitor that also does a wide shoes, but yours are I don't know, 25% more expensive, but you've got a chat box and they can click on the chat box and actually interact with you. Well, that mm. 25% part of that is paying for that premium service. And right. you, know, this, you just got to learn this. You can't just guess and you, know, you got to figure out what, what, does it, what does the audience want. And somebody who's looking for that running shoe, imagine how much more they'd pay to be able to talk to somebody and go, okay, how do I know this shoe is going to work for me? And they're talking mm. to an actual person who's actually yeah. sells these shoes. They'd probably pay twice as much because they right. realize the value of that. Mm. Why did you start a podcast? So the, the, the short answer is I needed to be able to find my micro niche. Uh, that was the, the biggest one is that I was looking for you know, Google AdWords and all those things were just what everybody else was doing. But the, the, the better story of it and, and the, what really got me motivated to try it was I'd been listening to podcasts and uh, Katie Kermitsos gave a, a training session here in Tampa, Florida, and she talked about her experience with it. And I thought, huh, I wonder if there's a podcast for this. And I typed contracting officer and government contracting into iTunes, nothing. And I typed mm-hmm. contracting officer podcast into Google and nothing came up. And there are two types of entrepreneurs. And I know you've, you've had, you've probably had both. It, there are people that say, well, because nobody's looking for it, nobody wants it, move on. Mm. And then there's people like me that say, I know, I mean, I've met people because and again, because I'm in my micro niche. I mean, I've met, I've run into people that when I say, hey, I'm, I'm Kevin Jans, I work with the government. And they go, okay. And then I say, hey, I'm Kevin Jans, I was a contracting officer. And they go, really? It's that big of a difference, right? So I know that there's an interest in it, but I had to go find that out. So the difference there is when I, when I realized nobody had this podcast and it took me, I think it took, well, my Paul, my partner and I it took us like four or five months before people really, really started noticing it. And we're here, I guess we're probably a year, almost two years since the idea and a year and a half into the actual podcasting. And now, because we're the only one, now when you type in government contracting podcast, we're at the top of Google without even paying for it. But that mm-hmm. this is just because we've been putting out content week after we got 60, what, 66 episodes out right now. So that was the, the big draw. One was to get us out in front of the world. What's a good way to find our people? And then the other one, I realized that nobody else was doing this. And I, right. I, you have to be that kind of entrepreneur, I guess, is that to add yet another, like yours is unique. You, this, the name of your podcast is what you're trying to do. You're, right. you, I, don't, I don't think you see yourself as a micro niche, but you kind of are because you're saying, I just want to pick <laughs> your brain. I'm not trying to make right. this about internet marketing. Or I just, I want to talk to you, Kevin. I want to pick your brain. And that's, that's very right. personal. Yeah. 
You also wrote a book that was written, again, specifically for your niche called, and you mentioned this before, Save Your Time. A former contracting officer explains why the government market may or may not be right for you. What's really amazing is that because you've defined your market, your, your target audience, so you're able to communicate to them in many different ways, and essentially you become the expert in your field. Can you give an example of how, let's say, someone in a different industry, say, for example, someone selling products for pets, would do the same? Pick your micro niche of like, okay, for me, I had one of the businesses I had was, was a pet photography and okay, I've right. been a photographer, right? So I'd done lots of, I mean, I've taken pictures of people and all kinds of stuff, but I realized, and, and here's the fun part. I didn't realize the value of the micro niche, but what I really was doing, because I happened to live in a part of Florida at the time, I was for a different military base and there were lots of retirees and those retirees, their kids were gone. They'd all grown up. And so their pets were kind of like their kids now and they mm-hmm. would pay good money to get pictures. And I would come to their house and I'd bring the studio to them. I mean, I, I micro niche this down to, it's not photography, it's pet photography. It's not just pet right. photography, it's pet photography in your house. If you think about a pet, I mean, to haul a pet to a to a place where they're going to get their picture taken, it's not the same as you know, taking your kid. You can't explain what's going on. So That's for right. them, it, was, it, it worked very well. And so you can write a book about that. You can create, I mean, honestly, I would, I just throw it out there. I wonder how many pet photography podcasts there are. <laughs> if, if any, and, and, and it's funny because you and I are like, well, I don't need that. But you know what? When right. somebody Googles it because they decide they want to get a picture taken of their pet for whatever reason. And again, for, for me, it was the retirees in my neighborhood. I could see this as something they needed. But globally, this is something people need. And so when you're the expert on, I can tell you all kinds of stories I learned from that experience of, of what lights the pet does not like. Uh, like really, if they're too bright, if they're too warm, they they would prefer they prefer to be outside. So many of these pictures. I mean, I, I worked really hard to get the sunlight right and and get the the shadows off the dog because they're out with the, with the blazing sun because we're living in Florida, right? I could tell right. stories all day long. If you're a pet photographer, those are great stories to you. Mm. But that's a micro niche. Exactly. And what's also great about what you've done is that you've created very low cost ways to promote what you do in a very non salesy way. So besides for the podcast and the book, can you give other examples of what would work in the same way? Oh, so the latest one I'm trying is I started a Facebook group and I had LinkedIn groups and, and those seem to be doing well, but a lot of people on LinkedIn already know about, I mean, they already kind of know about the market and it's a different, it's more of a business to business. And I found that on Facebook, it's again, it's free. And it, if you have the content, you're just sharing, like, you're giving away the same free content to more people. And if you start with this concept of I'm just trying to help people understand, I mean, the core of this is if you want to understand how the government market works, if you understand where your tax dollars go, that's one of the reasons you would listen to our podcast. And if you read our blog posts and you do the, you see the interviews, you see the, the free videos I give away on how to, how to research your competition and, and your, your target market. There's a video on YouTube. It's probably took me, I don't know, three, four hours of, of work. It's like 20 minutes, but it shows you how to find your competition. Is that worth a lot of, yes, it's worth a lot of, a lot of money to some people, but you know what? I, I'm going to give all that away for free and I'm going to keep putting it in the Facebook groups and all these different places because I know it's going to help people. And then eventually I'm going to have faith <laughs> that eventually you're going to call us and, and expect to pay a premium because we're giving away so much for free. I think a lot of people are afraid to give away so much for free because if you keep giving people things for free, they're going to keep expecting things for free. And then the, the day comes when you kind of go, by the way, would you like to buy something that, you know, the, the fear is, is that they turn around and say, well, why would I buy something from you? You've been giving me things for free. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and the, the way I the way I uh, process that one is there's a saying that you can't be mad at your prospects for doing something you didn't tell them they couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So I make it very clear that the podcast site, 
like the way our business model works is the contractingofficerpodcast.com is that's the site where the podcast is. Everything on there is free. If you go to skywayacquisition.com, which is the consulting company that I started five years ago, it fairly quickly becomes apparent that there are a few things that are free here, but most of the content that's on here is not free. And I tell people that is that here's and it, and it, it's funny people come in and ask me to speak for free and I say uh, I, I can't do that because my free time like my my generating free content goes to the podcast and you know interviews like this one so that's that clarity you got to be clear you got to tell people what you're doing so they're not offended right. and and so people know that if they pick up the phone and call us they're expecting to pay for our time because we give them what thirty hours of free content <laughs> just on the podcast <laughs> right right hundred percent. You know, one of the things I research before I interview someone is what they're like outside the business arena, because ultimately we're all human beings, right? We're not just CEOs, entrepreneurs, or whatever title you call yourself. And I noticed that you're really involved as a father. You, you know, I think you, are you a coach of the baseball team? Uh, it's funny. I was. My son is. You moved, were? Yeah. My son's moved up enough that I'm not as good as the guys that are coaching him. So now I'm sitting there. Watching. Okay. That's amazing. But you, you were a coach. I guess you're a coach of your yes. son's baseball team. You go to your son's karate tournaments. I saw that on your Facebook. Would it be right to say that you wouldn't be able to have the freedom to be that involved if you didn't run your own business? Absolutely right. I think there's a, there's a level of running your own life. It sounds really nebulous, but you don't have to necessarily be uh, the president and find your own company and go through all of the struggles that come with having your own business. But you do have to be clear on what you want. And for me, I wanted the freedom to be able to hug my kids every morning. And when I get when they get home from school today, I'm going to be here to hug them. Now, there are trade offs to that because th this is a different culture. You have to be a different kind of personality. I don't have the water cooler experience. I don't have the stability. You know, as an entrepreneur, it's a different animal. Right. And right. I, I run into challenges like not being able to hire certain people because they want an office to go to. I mean, it's 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 not the same. But that was a decision that I made five years ago that if I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to take the risk of you know quitting my stable, my quote unquote, stable government job, I want to balance this with my family. And yeah, you're, you're right. You see a lot of that on my Facebook feed is that I'm very lucky that this worked. It could have just as easily gone the other way. I'm very blessed that things have worked out. It, my plan had its, its ups and downs and, and there have been challenges to it. But in the end, my why was I want to be able to build a company that all of our team members are like that. Because we have people live in Arizona and Texas and Florida and we all work out of our houses and we use technology to connect. And that's not for everybody. I mean, it's, it's been interesting that I, I didn't realize how ingrained the idea of going to an office has become for an entire generation that the kind of people that we're bringing in are, tend to be people with experience of their you know, 40 plus, right? And not all of them can do this. I mean, they've spent the last 20 years in an office and they're they're not comfortable with it. So there are right. challenges to that. But to your, to your point is, yeah, I get to spend a lot of time with my kids. And that means sometimes, I mean, yeah, you probably saw the Facebook post. We were on vacation and I'm up from five to eight in the morning. I'm working before they wake wow. up. But that's amazing. That's OK, because for me, it's like, but I get this. I get to be on vacation with them. And of course, the cynic could say, oh, well, you know, it's awful. You have to work on your vacation. So I, mean, I love what I do. So mm -hmm. it's I'm never really on. I'm never really off. So again, I'm again lucky that I get to do this. I, I never, sure. never lose sight of that. Your kids, I noticed, also gave up their playroom in your house so you can have a bigger office at home. That's like really sweet of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they put a little sign. It was pretty cool. It was so cute. Yeah. It was funny. I, I used the office used to be like a part of part of the dining room. And uh -huh. the funny part about it is that we realized after a while that what, particularly when I'm doing things like this, I'm recording things or I'm on a podcast or and or I'm having you know sales calls, whatever. And it was hard for the family to to not not like interfere because I was in this open space. And we mm -hmm. finally realized, like, well, the best place for me to be is in this. The, the picture you saw is in the corner 
of the house in the sunroom. And that was been their playroom for years. And they were like, you know what, why don't you take that room? Now, part of this is they're old enough that they kind of aged out of, they don't, you know, they don't right. have all big toys anymore. I mean, they mostly they're, they're just hanging out, playing with each other, watching TV. Right. But for the most part, it was, a, it was kind of cool that my, my family, this is a great example of my family is all in. They know that I quit my my stable job to do this and they've been on me with this journey and i or with me on this journey and i talk about uh that in a couple other i think it was joel joel lewis i was on the startup dad podcast and i it was a great it was a great interview because it talked about how do you balance being a dad with being an entrepreneur that and, was my next question yeah and, and, no, okay cool <laughs> and what what i just answering his question i realized that that what made this work is that i brought my family into the conversation one of my favorite things to talk about is that as an entrepreneur, your family has got to be all in and it's your job to convince them. It's not their job to just trust you. You, you got to convince mm-hmm. them this is going to work. And when you do that, they got your back. So now like, I mean, there have literally been times when I'm on, I'm on a phone call and my son tiptoes through the room because he knows <laughs> I'm on recording, but he's got, you know, he's got to go get out the back door or something. But that's what I mean. It's like they, they yeah. trust the big, they get the big picture. And I never would have seen that so clearly until Joel asked me that question. I'm thinking, well, you know what? Again, I got lucky. I didn't see it coming. I just talked to my family and said, let's let's try this. And here's what I think it's going to work. And here's what we're all going to do. And now that we're all on the same team, that's why it flows. And I'm, again, lucky that I get to do this. It's funny you say that you mentioned about your, your son tiptoeing across the room and how he's sort of involved in your business in a sense that he knows what's going on. My son, he's eight years old as well. And he... So I work in an office, like it's a, it's a shared office space. It's a really cool place, but it's only 10 minutes from my house, which is really nice. I worked out of my house before and I was ready to kind of move on, like move out of the house for, for you know, for, we'll get to that in a second. But so anyway, after school, uh, a lot of times I, my wife comes with the kids to my office to pick me up so I can go home and do, do dinner with them. I'm a, I'm a very big believer in, in doing, you know, family dinner together, mm-hmm. you know, father being at home. And again, for a lot of people, that's not necessarily possible. But uh, for me, it's like, it's, it's one of the things that I really value. So anyway, I went to a conference a week ago and they got me to wear this, uh, you know, when you, when you go to a conference, you wear this like a badge or whatever it is around your neck, you know, and it's got your name on it. So I actually put danielgeffen.com as my name because that's my website and I figured it's easy. People can go, oh, your name's Daniel Geffen and the website's danielgeffen.com. So I put that, when when the conference finished, I just kind of left it next to my bed, whatever it was. And yeah, one day my son comes knocking on the office door and I open it up and he's standing there wearing this danielgeffen.com badge. <laughs> And he's smiling from it and he's like, danielgeffen.com, danielgeffen.com. And he was so like, you know, he's proud. It was like, ah, you know? And, and that's that's a that's a story he'll never forget. And it probably in its own way, it's motivating him to say, you know what, this is something we can all do. You just got to be aware of it. And that's 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 its own victory. When you teach your kids that you can do the things you want, you just got to be creative in how you make them work. And you're doing the same right. thing where you're making sure that you're still there at dinner. You're still engaged with your kids. I saw you know you guys are going to play tennis together. You know, you're making yep. the time for that stuff. And you, you got to choose to do that. I mean, you could be the entrepreneur that like, like the, the joke is you, you'd be on the grind all the time. You could be the entrepreneur that doesn't check in with the family and uses the justification of, well, I need to be working all the time in order to do X. Right. And I've been that guy. That's why I'm talking about it. I went through a phase where I'm like, I need to be working all the time. And <laughs> you, you got to be careful that doesn't overwhelm you. And having that concept of I didn't do this to spend less time with my family. I did it to spend more. And that forces you to go back to, okay, well, let's take this moment and appreciate like, you know, the fact that he's wearing my name badge. That's funny. You know, let's remember this and let's celebrate it. You know what I find also is that a lot of people say I'm working really hard now. So that 
eventually I'll be able to spend more time with my family. The problem with that is that by the time you're then ready to spend more time with the family, they're like 15, 16 years old. They don't want to know you because you didn't dedicate your time with them when they were younger. So like, who are you? Like, why are you coming into my life now? And this is the, for me, I feel like this is the prime time. I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And oh, wow. this is the time, yeah, this is the time when I need to be there. You know, when they're 15, 16 years old, if I want them, if I want to have a relationship with my 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, I've got to invest the time and the relationship now, not, oh, later when, when they're that age. So, but one thing I, 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 I think I feel like a lot of people listening to this, because there's going to be a lot of people listening who are working from home and they're struggling because I, I know that when I worked from home, it was, it was like a struggle to kind of really strike that balance of work and family. And, and, you know, my wife would call up to the office. Oh, I need you for a second. I need you to do this. I need to go and get me something from the, from the, you know, grocery store. No, I'm working now. So how do you manage to strike that balance? How do you stay productive while working at home? Good question. And it was a challenge. Same thing is that everybody thought because I was here, I could just do things. And like even our friends, I had this one where they asked me to, they, they asked my wife if I could take them to the airport. And because I'm home, they figured I just could. Right. Well, right. and she said, yes, not. And again, this is probably a year into it. And she said, yeah, no problem. Well, that's like four hours out of my work day. And <laughs> it, I did it and I learned a lot from it. And I said, from now on, just again, this is you can't be mad at people for doing things you didn't tell them they couldn't do. Right. I said, from now on, I, I can't take people to the airport. And that became a matter of, OK, from I'm available to everybody. Like I, I'm, I'm always aware of when they're getting ready to leave for school. I don't work on on heavy thinking things like I'm not trying to run a blog post when the kids are all kind of rustling around because I know probably half the time my wife's going to say, hey, can you make sure X is done? Can you make sure he brushes his teeth? You know, what are all the stuff yeah. that has to get done, right? So I've picked up the habit of I don't do the heavy lifting with my brain. I'm doing like emails and, you know, busy work and, you know, checking Facebook details and things like that. But yeah. a lot of it is just patterning yourself and then being very clear with everybody that like my kids, they know that I am back here working until five and at five o'clock, then it's okay to come. Now, of course, emergencies are emergencies, right? But they know that and I've had this conversation with them. It's really hard. There's all kinds of data that shows this, but it's really hard to get restarted. So if you're into something and you're thinking your way through things and you're, you're whether it's creative work or you're, particularly for me when I'm, when I'm working on financial statements or something like that or doing invoices, anything has numbers in it. If I have to start over, it frustrates me and, and it costs more time, right? So I explain that to them and I said, it's really hard to get restarted. So even though you're coming up and asking me, hey, are we going out to dinner tonight? That interruption is enough that it costs me you know, 20 minutes. And mm. until you tell them that, and they really, and again, my kids are, I think they're probably seven and nine when I had this conversation with them and they got it. They understood it because I mean, again, you got to talk at their level and you know, kind of use the basic concept of it's really hard to get started again. But once they understood that and we're just very clear on why this works, that's made a big difference. Now, the trade off to that is that after five o'clock, you know, they're like, all right, come on down, let's have dinner. I mean, there's there's no, right. there's no messing around. And I usually will work after, like after they've gone to bed is when I'll do a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, some of the heavy lifting where I can just check out, put on my headphones and just work. So right. you have to flex around it. But the, my biggest lesson is this is what I mean by your family being all in, is that until they know that what, for the kind of you know, content creation kind of stuff, like if somebody walked in right now and got us off this conversation, not only would mm. it be rude to you, but then we'd have to start all over again, right? And oh boy, just be aware of, like, you know, imagine imagine that happening four or five, and you probably were dealing with yeah. that. And, and <laughs> I noticed that I was getting like this, this frustration. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I finally figured out that's what it is. There's all kinds of data that shows it can take up to a half an hour to get back to where you were mentally. Flow. You have right, to get back in the flow. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's a huge deal. And, and, and the kids don't know it. You got to tell them. So I guess communication would be my biggest recommendation. Talking about starting over again, if you were to go back 
when you started your business? What would you do differently? I would have started the podcast and written the book before I left my job. Mm. That those those gave us wow. scales the wrong word. They get, multiply. I like to say that better. Is it, it allows us to multiply our time in ways that you just you, you can't until you've seen it happen. Until like you know, and the example would be some of the questions that we answer. I've answered personally a thousand times, but to answer them once on the podcast and have them help so many people has built <laughs> yeah. our brand so much. And so then to have that in place by the time I left, it would have been the transition would have been a whole lot easier. So I would say yeah. do things that multiply your time first. And I think sometimes we entrepreneurs look at them last. And that's probably the, one of the biggest lessons is now I actually have on my on my daily to do list is what are you doing today to multiply your time? And by the way, the podcast, this is the thing today because more than one person is going to hear it. Right. So we're right. helping more Absolutely. than one person. Yeah, I love the concept of multiplication. I mean, it's funny because when when um, I'm out and about and some people say to me, you know, people I, I haven't met before, they go, oh, so what do you do? What's your story or whatever it is? Or what's your background? I say to them, instead of me telling you, why don't you go and listen to my episode zero on my podcast and you'll find out everything about me and my whole story. And then I get them to literally go onto their iPhone, go onto iTunes and, and download episode zero and they can get to know about me. So I don't even need to go into the whole, you know, my whole background story. They could just listen to it themselves. So the last person I interviewed, I asked him afterwards for his feedback. I always like to, you know, what can I do better? You know, so I said to him, what could I have done better? And he said, you didn't ask, how can people get in touch with me? So, you know, being someone who's always trying to better myself, Kevin, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? I would say that the best way is to look me up on Facebook, Kevin Jans, J-A-N as in Nicholas, S as in Sam, and you know, Facebook, all those kind of places. And we're on Twitter and LinkedIn, et cetera. Or you can actually email me at Kevin at Skyway Acquisition.com. And the reason I'm leery of giving that is acquisitions along it's a long, if I had to go back and change my URL to a shorter one, I would have. I'll put links to those in the show notes. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, they can click on the links and, and get in touch with you. Kevin, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.